John Hurtenbold. We discuss the Central Michigan football team's big win over Ball State and what it means for their chances at a MAC West division title. We also touch on the volleyball team as they are headed to the MAC tournament. What are their chances there? We'll see. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Maroon and Bold. I'm your host, Evan Petzl, along with me, my co-host, Austin Chastain, the assistant sports editor. And it's not just us today. We have Christian Boer and Andrew Loveland, two of our staff reporters, coming on to talk a little bit about volleyball. But that's a little bit later. Right now, we're going to jump into football and, and go right into that. Austin, first and foremost, how you doing? And then what are your thoughts on that win against Ball State? 45-44 on the road, a huge win that the Chippewas needed. Man, I mean, really, what are your thoughts in general? Well, first of all, I'm doing real well. We had a, we had a little bit of a sickness last week, a little bit of illness. Got through it. We're good to go, 100%, feeling great. And as for that win, um, I think the Chippewas are feeling great. Going down there, being down double digits, like almost 20 points at one point, coming back and and scoring 17 unanswered points in that in that late in the game, coming back, winning by just a point. Really, really big day for CMU. Yeah, looking at the way that it went in that one. Um, and obviously, you know, just so you guys know as well, Austin and I, we were at, you know, CM Life Centennial Celebration, which is celebrating, you know, the 100th year anniversary of CM Life. We were we were busy working on some stuff there. So we sent down Christian and, and Andrew down there, and they got a chance to cover that. So we'll make sure that we get a chance to ask them some some questions as well, because I know you guys were, were, were right there in the action. But yeah, man. I mean, at at halftime, it ended up being a you know twenty seven eleven. That was the score. Ball State obviously in the driver's seat there, and and at one point, you know, I was sitting there and I was sipping on sipping on some beer at the at the event, getting ready to go up and present, trying to calm my nerves. And I thought to myself, yeah, this thing's over. Like there there's no way you're not coming back to beat Ball State, especially with the offense that they have. Um, you know, when you want to take into account. The players that they have, I mean, Drew Plitt at, at the quarterback position, um, one of the better quarterbacks in the Mid-American Conference, and then look at their run game with, with Fletcher and Huntley. I mean, those are two guys that have been able to run the ball pretty darn well all season long. So you have a, a good mix of an offensive offensive you know capabilities, and then you flip it over and you say, all right, well, how do you just all of a sudden try to shut that down? And it's not like CMU really like shut them down in any way. I feel like from a defensive standpoint, it's almost like they were just able to get their offense to kind of start to keep up with them, you know. Because I mean, like I said, the final score was forty-five, forty-four, and at, and at halftime, it was just twenty-seven, eleven. So it's not like they shut them down on on defense or, or were able to to rally off a bunch of points. It was really more of the fact that they were able to keep up on offense, and then yeah, in the fourth quarter, the, the defense did step up there, and, and we saw that happen. Yeah, I mean that's, that's and that's the that kind of the recipe that we've been or that we thought the game how the game would go. Um, not quite to that degree, not falling behind a ton and then having to make a huge comeback. But we figured whichever defense would fold first was going to win that game, and it looked like just watching and following along with the guys on Twitter that the Ball State defense folded first and I guess folded later than CMU's did because CMU's defense obviously didn't play well in that first half but then it was able to make some adjustments come back kind of like you were saying and really right the ship and then the Ball State offense just it, it kind of not necessarily fell apart but it just didn't do what it was doing in the first half and 
CMU also made some adjustments in the offensively and was able to come back and, and take care of business. Yeah, looking at the way that it went down with the you know, scoring per quarter. Central Michigan, they only put up three in the first, and as did Ball State. So it's a 3-3 at the end of the first. And then in the second, that's where you really saw the the biggest change when you had Ball State putting up 24 points in, in Central Michigan just eight. I think that was kind of where... Central Michigan's defense, they um they they lost it. They they lost it there. They weren't able to they weren't able to stop the run game. They weren't able to stop the pass game. It was just kind of a, a continuous cycle of we're gonna put the ball and pound it down your throat. And then it flipped in the third quarter and, and Central was able to score twenty points in, in comparison to, to Ball State's fourteen and then fourteen thirteen for that that fourth quarter. And what what a scenario too down there at the end of the game. Tommy Lazaro scores the the last two touchdowns for Central Michigan. Uh, five yard carry with 13-10 left, and then just with just over a minute left, actually, you know, one second over a, a minute left, he scores from two yards out to give him a, a one point lead, and then the defense steps up, and, and Troy Brown gets an interception. And I guess when you look at you know the overall of this game and and kind of what we talked about coming in with both teams being being so good in a MAC West division, that's just really interesting because it seems like there's not really like a, an outlier, um, you know, from a a top perspective. I mean, yes, there are at the bottom, but at the top though, I mean, you really, I mean, you have three, four teams that you could say, yeah, I mean, those are teams that, that could probably play in the MAC title game or, you know, you want to play all these teams once and it's a toss up every time. That, that's kind of how it's been in the West division. So we didn't really know what to expect coming out of this one, but I think more than anything, I think you saw a team that was willing to, uh, willing to be resilient, willing to not back down, willing to, to stick with it. And I found that to be something that was was really impressive, and that's the first time that we've really seen that from CMU this year, coming down, coming back from being down by as much as they were, and and making that comeback and rallying together. I thought that that was outstanding to see. Also, listen, guys, Quentin Dormady, okay, yeah, he throws for 356 yards, and you look at that and say, oh wow, impressive. He didn't throw for a touchdown. Every every score from the Chippewa was on the ground. And I think that's a true testament to the offensive line and the fact that Dormady was still able to go 27 of 38. That says a lot about the protection as well. But look, I mean, really, though, he, he moved in on the field, and then it was either Jonathan Ward or Tommy Lazaro finishing the job. Ward had four touchdowns, and Lazaro had two. So when you look at it from, from that angle, this was also the first game where CMU didn't really have to have a mixed offense in terms of how they score. It was all dominated by the run game, whereas when you look at it from a yardage standpoint – the, you know, the passing game obviously outweighed the run game with, with Ward only having 105 yards and Kobe Lewis only having 37. But it's not like you need those deep balls to, to win the game. I mean, you were able to move the ball down the field consistently, and then you were able to give it to your running backs close in, close you know, to the goal line and pound it in. Ward's long was 17. He, you know, it wasn't like he had a, one of those breakaway touchdowns where he goes nuts. Right. That, that, I think that says a lot about the offense. Trusting your quarterback to move you down the field, get you in scoring position, hand it off to the running back, trust him to take care of the ball, and they punch it in. And that's how that's how you should be able to play. And I think that that was huge for me to see and for me to understand. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that before I flip it to these guys? Well, sure. And, and another thing on Dormady, I mean, he hit seven different guys in terms of in terms of receivers. So that this offense has made so many great strides from that season opener against Albany. You know, and, and like you were saying, Evan, you know, if 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 this team, say, even last year, even the beginning of this year, was down by that many, you would have seen it fold. There was no way that they were going to come back. But you know, it was it was really impressive how how the team was able to come back and 
and like you say, move the ball with with authority, and then just give it to, give it to the guy that you know can score and is able to take care of it and go punch it in. So, yeah, man, this this offense has made made quite a few strides, and it's uh, it's been rather impressive, if I if I may say. Now I have to ask Christian. You know, I got to ask you kind of your thoughts on what Central Michigan was able to do. First question, obviously. I want you to to kind of give me a look at your thoughts throughout the game, right? So when I mean, did you ever get, was there ever a point in the game where you were like, okay, yeah, this thing's over? And then if so, when did you feel the momentum kind of start to shift back into Central Michigan's direction? Um, and that's kind of the first question. So when did that momentum shift back? And then obviously looking too at just the fact that you know how, how big of a win this was. Um, what were the emotions like? What were the reactions like? Yeah, you know, obviously Central Michigan turned the ball over on three consecutive possessions, you know, at the start of that second quarter and allowed Ball State to get out to a 20 to 3 lead. And then I think things the momentum didn't necessarily start the shift um with Central Michigan's first touchdown drive, you know, that ended with the 1-yard run by Ward. But you you kind of got that feeling like okay, maybe this is going to turn into a little bit of a shootout. And then, you know, I was up in the press box and they went down and scored and went for two, made it 20 to 11 and Andy and I were kind of looking at each other like, why did they go for two? And uh, obviously it paid off, you know, with a one-point victory. And then I went to the bathroom, and by the time I got back to the, back from the bathroom, it was 27-11. You know, Ball State, made, they went down and scored that fast, and that's what it ended up being in the locker room. But, you know, right before the half, and many people didn't, don't really know about this, but Central Michigan got into scoring position and had a Hail Mary come up one yard short. You know, their offense was really, really moving the ball, and I think they figured it out right at the start of that second quarter, or at end of the second quarter, start of the third, rather. And I think that's when the momentum started to shift, and then they got back-to-back stops, and that's when they were able to go out and get this thing done. And really, too, I mean, looking at such a big win and what it meant for them to be able to secure this one, what were the emotions like after the game? I mean, what did you see on the field, and then you know, what was the conversation with the coach and, and the players like? Yeah, just a super cool atmosphere. You know, Khalil Pimbleton, Jonathan Ward, even Devonnie Reed, they're all down there doing backflips, cartwheels, front hand springs. You know, it was really cool to see emotion like that from players who I think were letting out some pent-up frustration, you know, playing in such a big game. You know, a couple guys got on sports and like conducts during the game, which, I mean, you don't really ever endorse that, but it showed that they were playing with heart and fight, and I think at the end of the game, everybody was going crazy. And it just goes to show how big of a win this is to not just the players, but even the fans, you know, and Andy and I were coming back from the presser with, with McElwain, Troy Brown, and Dormady, and people are hailing us, and we're just reporters. I mean, the Central Michigan faithful all gathered by the by the locker room. Everybody's cheering, yelling. This was an important win, not just for players, but for fans, too. And Andrew, obviously, too, looking at the fact that it was such a big game, like we've mentioned you know, now so many times. I guess kind of like looking back on it, if there was a negative that you could take from it or something that they need to work on going forward, what would that be? And then kind of my second part of that question as well, what all did McIlwain have to say? What did Dormady say? What did Troy Brown say? I mean, what, what were those conversations like in the press conference? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing was they still turned the ball over three times. And they, I mean, I won't say they got lucky because they played good defense. They played good offense in the second half and got back. But against, you know, a different team, you're not going to be able to turn the ball over three or four times and still have a chance. Like, not every game is going to be like that. So if they want to win the MAC, if they get to that point, you can't start off that slow. And I think the feeling after the game was just a little bit of relief. They were, I mean, overjoyed, obviously, to get the victory, but I think they knew that that wasn't as clean as it looked. You know, McElwain was kind of going deeper than the stats because we asked him a couple of questions about, 
you know, the offensive line only allowed one sack and different things like that. And he was kind of like, yeah, we played all right. The offensive line played all right, but they kind of controlled us on both lines for, uh, you know, the first half. And so I think McIlwain was happy with the win, but in some ways he really was disappointed with the way the first two quarters went. Mm -hmm. Anything that like Troy Brown or Quentin Dormy said that jumped out to you? Yeah, so the, I mean, Troy Brown, the biggest thing he said is just once the offense started to pick up, and was able to score points in the second half, the defense kind of turned to each other, and the leaders of the defense were like, okay, we need to do our part in this to make this worth it because it doesn't matter if the offense scores 30 points if we can't make any defensive stops. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that that does make a lot of sense. And when you look at it from that perspective, I mean, yeah, that that that's how it is. And I guess from your perspective as well, from what you saw what were the emotions like that you saw? I know probably some of the same, but I mean, like, what what was that like, and what was that atmosphere like? And I guess does that does that give them momentum going forward? I mean, just what they were able to experience and feel. Yeah, so I think one, it was just a different game than they've ever played so far this season. They haven't really been that far behind and then come back like that. And they really like so obviously players were overjoyed, and I think part of that was just they were picked last. Mm-hmm. And McElwain said it multiple times this season. You know, they were picked last in the division. No one thought they'd get this far. So to get to seven wins and enter the final game of the season with an opportunity to represent the Mac West, I think that team's just, they've worked really hard to get to that point. And you could tell, like, from talking to Dormady, you know, who's only been here, this will be his only year here. Mm-hmm. But he was still really proud with the work they'd put in. And McElwain just, I mean, he couldn't credit his team, their effort enough in that game, I guess. And i got to ask you, Christian, as as we're kind of looking at it, and and to wrap up, you know, you guys talking a little bit about the game, Ring of Fire. Tell me what's all. Tell tell me what that's all about, because uh, I I need to know. Yeah, and that was a pretty cool story that uh, Troy Brown shared with us. You know, they they play that song that Johnny Cash classic, if I do say so myself. They played at the end of every workout. It's the last workout. You know, their last their last session in practice, the last quarter. It's been played before the start of the fourth at every home game this year, and I don't think a whole lot of people noticed that. Um, I personally did not, but it's it just it's their symbolism. You know, it's their the fourth quarter is a grind. It's a ring of fire, and they just push through it. And that's what Troy Brown highlighted. The one thing I will say, Troy Brown didn't know who sings that song, uh, which I thought was funny. Um, and then McElwain even backed it up. You know, he said, it's real. You know, the ring of fire, the fourth quarter, you just got to push through it. You know, and he said, uh, I don't know if there's any truth to this statement, but he said that the players were playing it in their heads, um, you know, on that last offensive drive. And I don't really know if that's the case. We'd have to talk to some of the players about that. But I think it's something that, the team as a whole is embraced, you know, that that fourth quarter is a grind, it's a ring of fire, and if you get through it, then you're going to be successful. Ring of fire. I like it. Austin, bringing you back here. Um, thanks for letting these guys jump on, by the way. Of course. They I do lo- good work. Oh, these guys, these guys are the best. I know. I love that ring of, I love that ring of fire. I know. That was, that was a cool story. Good story. Um, but anyway, no, I mean, looking at what this means for Chippewas now, obviously 7-4, and 5-2 and two in the conference, you wrote a little, bit, you wrote a little story about some of the implications, and, and really the main one, and the only one that you really care about at this point is it's all about Western Michigan. It is all about Western Michigan. They got to lose, and they got to lose on the road to Northern Illinois. What did you kind of write about? Tell me a little bit about what you know about the, the scenarios and what's at stake here for the Chippewas. Okay, I see it. We're going back to the Austin metaphor, and I see this whole thing like a lottery ticket, Okay. I see it like, you know, like playing a Powerball or, or Club Kino at your favorite bar or restaurant. And I see it as Central Michigan needs to hit three numbers 
in, in this last little scenario here. The first number is beating Ball State. And Chippewas did that no problem. Well, what, what problem, but we get it. Chippewas did that. They need to hit the second number is beating Toledo. Chippewas are 5-0 and at home, play much better than they do it on the road. The last number, like you said, is completely out of CMU's control, and that's a Western Michigan loss on the road at Northern Illinois next, I think, Wednesday night. Western Michigan is 1-4 on the road, and they were able to escape Ohio with an overtime victory when the Bobcats didn't key on Levante Bellamy. Either he's way too dominant or the Bobcats just didn't pay attention or mm-hmm. something. It was a weird overtime as Western took over on offense. So, anyway, uh, this this third number that Central Michigan needs to hit, it me so when West when Central goes to play its season finale against Toledo, November 29th at home, which we found out today is going to be a noon game. They they will know whether or not they have a chance to win the MAC West, depending on what Western does that Wednesday prior. Tuesday, that Tuesday prior, you'll figure it out. You you will know whether you're playing for a MAC champion MAC West championship or not when you go to play Toledo. So that's pretty much all that I know about it. Really, um, is you have to beat Toledo and you have to hope to God that Western loses to Northern Illinois. Which is entirely possibility. Northern Illinois is not a slouch, and they're playing for bowl eligibility as well. So, should the Huskies beat Western, not only would it set up a chance for Central to win the MAC West, but it also give the Huskies uh, bowl eligibility. Their sixth win. Yeah, look, I mean, Northern Illinois. It's like you said that they are no slouch. They they did beat Ohio. Um, they they lost to Ball State by seven. They beat Akron like everybody else has. And obviously they lost to, to Central, but you know they, they bounce back and they beat Toledo. I mean, I mean, really. And then they have a tune-up game before Western against Eastern, which is going to be a big game as well. That's going to be a tough one for them. So when you're looking at having you know Eastern, Western, and back-to-back weeks, both those games are going to be on Tuesdays. You know, It kind of provides you with a little bit of momentum going into that last game of the season. And then you have to remember, too, I mean, Northern Illinois, they're 2-1 and one at home, but... But these Broncos on the road, one and four, that kind of causes you a little bit of concern. Granted, I don't think Western loses that game. I really don't. I think they're going get, to get the win. But, again, it's a road game, so I think it'll be a much closer contest. And, and at the same time, as good as Western has been with their offense, you mentioned Bellamy already, but, I mean, obviously, like, Wasink, too, and, and Giovanni Ricci, those guys can, can play ball. And then Justin Tranquil um, in the secondary on defense, he's a guy that that is a, that is pretty darn good this year. So when you have that combination on paper, of course you're going to take Western all day, every day. But you have to remember they are going on the road, and it's going to be a game where it's going to be a high-pressure situation. You know, They control their own destiny, and in a way when you control your own destiny like that, it's almost like there is a little bit of extra pressure, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, you know that you can't lose. You can't slip up. Otherwise, Central might come back and bite you in the butt, whereas the Chippewas are just kind of waiting to see. Maybe that's a little bit different. I mean, I, I don't know your thoughts on that um, from a psychological standpoint, but still, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And then obviously we know about what Northern Illinois brings to the table with, with Ross Bowers 
at quarterback and, and his ability to throw the ball around the field. Um, over 2,000 passing yards and, and seven touchdowns to his eight interceptions. And then the big name is obviously Trey Harbison. Trey Harbison, excuse me. Um, a guy that's just under 900, uh, 900 yards on the ground, 899, eight touchdowns, 200 carries. He's their workhorse in that offense. And then from a receiver standpoint, multiple guys with more than one touchdown. And, and you got to watch out for a bunch of weapons in the receiving game. So they can throw the ball around a little bit, and they, they can do damage. And also, too, I think you have to remember that Northern Illinois is a team that they were able to hang with some programs early. They lost to, to Utah on September 7, 35-17. Um, and, and I guess against Nebraska, they, they struggle uh, more than they would have liked to, but they lost that one 44-8. But then they played Vanderbilt in SEC school. I know they're not a big SEC school, but still, they only lost 24-18. They played a lot of close games this year, and they've been able to hang with teams till the, till the very end. Even that game against Utah – even though they lost 35-17, it was, it was closer than that down the stretch. So, I don't know, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on what's going to happen, and, and where do you think Central Michigan is going to end up when the, the season concludes? I'll start with, I think Central's going to end up second in the West. I think Western goes on the road and and beats Northern Illinois. I, I don't, we agree, I think, on that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Western ends up the Mac West champions, and Central is going to come up just short, finish second place. But I think they, I think they do go out. Um, no matter how it shakes out, I think Central will go out and beat Toledo. But we'll talk about that next week. Um, so it, ultimately, it turns out to be a, a pretty good year for CMU, and um, not what uh, not what many people thought at all. Yeah, not what I thought. I picked them to finish last in the MAC West. Um, actually, well, in the MAC in, in general, actually, in terms of when you're looking at points and how I ranked it as it went out but yeah I don't think they make the Mac uh the Mac championship game obviously it'd be fun to go on Ford field and get a chance to cover that I don't think it happens just based off the fact that I think Western gets it done on the road but we'll see we'll see time will tell on that one and then even if that does happen you have to remember guys Central still has to beat Toledo I think that's all for football that we have I don't know if you have any other final comments but I I don't think so all right well I think that's it for us we're going to flip it over to Christian Brewer and Andy Loveland, bring it back to those guys again. They're going to talk volleyball. They're headed down to the MAC tournament. They want to chat a little bit about how they feel about Central Michigan's chances, so we'll jump on right over to them. Christian, first question, man. What are your thoughts on this MAC tournament, and how did the Chippewas come in, and all that kind of other jazz? What's there to expect? Yeah, you know, they're 21-7 and on the season. 11-5 um, and was in the Mid-American Conference. They started out really, really well within conference. You know, they were on a 12-game win streak. Um, and then things kind of, I'm not going to say the wheels fell off, um, but, you know, they come into the tournament having lost a handful of games. You know, they got swept last weekend, and then this pat, this previous weekend they went 1-1, one and one, and they had a chance to win the MAC West outright. They couldn't, couldn't pull it off. You know, they lost in four sets to Ball State. Um, but I, I would say this this MAC tournament this this next weekend offers them a chance at a clean slate. The, their goals are still out there. You know they kind of hit a rough patch, but there's nothing that they wanted to achieve that they can't still achieve. So Andy, you know Christian just kind of gave us the laydown on on the whole team here. So and kind of coming into the tournament. So if you could, uh, what what is there to expect from from the tournament itself? Yeah. So um, if you're familiar with some of the other MAC tournaments and some things. You know, it runs similarly, but a little bit different. So I'll kind of give you the laydown just because volleyball is a different sport and it 
the way seeding works. So Thursday night, actually, the five seed will play the eight seed, and the six seed and the seven seed will play, which is so it'll be Ohio versus Kent State. That's the five eight matchup. Then Akron versus Buffalo is the six seven matchup. And then Friday night, you'll have Ball State is the four seed, Bowling Green's the three seed. They'll be waiting for their teams. And then Saturday, actually, is where Central, who's the second seed, and Miami, who's the one seed, will play their first action of the tournament. To And that's already the semifinal. So Central needs to win two matches, and then they'd be the MAC champions. But looking at their side of the bracket, they've got Bowling Green, Akron, and Buffalo. They beat Akron 3-0. They beat Buffalo 3-0. And at the time, Akron was top of the East Division. So when they played, it was kind of billed as the number one versus number one team in each division, kind of the battle for the number one spot, and they swept them. Buffalo's a different story. They're the, they come in the tournament as the seventh seed, but CMU had them at home up 2 nothing, and then Buffalo just came and kind of reverse swept them in that game. So that could be a challenge. I think, I think what CMU has is they can beat any of the teams on their side of the bracket, and I think they'll likely get into the championship game and then have a rematch against Miami, who they lost to, but in five sets. So if I remember correctly, that was a fairly good matchup for them. So they have a legitimate shot at winning this thing, and their side of the bracket is, I think, kind of played towards them. And to use uh, one of Golic's favorite kind of lines, to get to this point in the season, you have to have a an entire season's worth of good games. So... They're the two seed because of what they've done in the season. But to win the MAC tournament, you need one good weekend. And all he needs to do is get his team to have one good weekend. Yeah, that's correct. You know, if you like you said, they're two of the three teams on their half of the bracket, they're two and one. Uh, and you can argue that they should be even be three and oh, given how the Buffalo game turned out. And you mentioned Miami as well, and that was a game that they had all but locked up in the fourth set. They jumped out to a seven point lead and then they just couldn't close it. And as a result, they fell in five. And I think that's one thing about volleyball is that the last set, if you go to five, you play to 15 instead of 25. And so that's one of those things where you've got to come out hot. And they just couldn't do that, uh, which is understandable. But, you know, they've had a really good they had a really good stretch at the beginning of the conference season. And I think, you know, the wheels, the wheels definitely didn't fall off. But I think things kind of just started to crumble a little bit towards the end of the year. And so, like I said, this is a chance for them to kind of re- – prove to the to the Chippewa faithful who they were and um I think I think personally that this would be huge for the Chippewas if they're able to snare this uh this MAC tournament because you know this is something you haven't seen in a long time last year they were 7 and 21 instead of 21 and 7 and so the the 180 in a literal sense of what coach Golic has been able to do I think is really really impressive and this this MAC tournament would be kind of the icing on the cake of what's turned out to be a pretty darn good season. Yeah, I want to say the last time they won the tournament was 2011. So it's been 8 years. Um part I think part of their, you know, will underplay it a little bit just because for whatever reason, but uh, they had a couple of injuries later on in the season, mm-hmm. and I think that played into some of it. I mean, you're looking at volleyball, and if you don't necessarily understand all the rules like and all the formations and things, you might say, well, why can't you just insert a six-player and be fine? But it was a different formation, and it allowed them to get different players in. So now, as far as we know, like she played last weekend, Kendall Bray, and she'll most likely be able to again to play this weekend, barring any, you know, re-injury or setbacks during practice but I think that would be key 
That's their normal formation. That's what they played for three quarters of the season, and they'll have that back and with a weekend to get that kind of under their feet. Yeah, they had a ton of success early in the season. Um, and a major part of that was, like you said, Kendall, she allows them to have that wrinkle where they can go to a 6-2 and have two setters out there, which gives them another attacker. Um, it gives you know an opportunity for somebody like Savannah Thompson to get more involved or Kalina Smith to have more kills from the back row simply because you've got another person sending them the ball. And the, the, the weekend they were without her, they went 0-2, uh, without Kendall, I should say, and they, they were swept in consecutive sets in, uh, in both of those games. And so I think Kendall gets another week of footing under another week of footing back within the offense, and I think they'll be in good shape. Um, looking at the matchups from a, from a sense, uh, what, what do you think personally is going to go down uh, this weekend? Like I said, I think, I think CMU and Miami meet one versus two in the championship. I think both teams are kind of – I mean, Miami is coming in more on a hot streak rather than, you know – CMU kind of getting trying to get back to where they were. Ball State is another team that's on Miami's side of the bracket that's really hot right now. Six wins in a row. And they're coming into this tournament ready to go, but they don't play again until Friday. So, you know, that I don't know how like if you play Friday, Saturday, I don't know how that sets you up for Sunday necessarily. But so I think CMU's advantageous because they're actually the two seed. I think they would have been worse off had they been the one seed. But I largely expect them to be playing Miami on Sunday or Ball State because – and I, I honestly think the scarier matchup might be Ball State because they yeah. just lost to Ball State Saturday. And at that point, Ball State would be – that would be their, what, ninth win or eighth win in a row? It would be eight wins to get there and yeah. then going for nine. And I don't necessarily know if you want to play a team approaching double-digit wins in the final. Yeah, that's one thing that – you'd really have to watch out for is, you know, this Ball State team's obviously got a ton of confidence, you know. They they beat Central 3-1 uh, in the final matchup of the season. Now, granted, the uh, the first two sets that were both taken by Ball State went to extras, so to speak, 26-24 and then 27-25. And so it wasn't necessarily a blowout by a statistical sense, but it's just one of those things where Central Michigan just didn't have it. And I think that's something that they need to figure out, and I think they will figure it out. Um, what's one in order for Central Michigan to win this Mid American Conference? What players are going to have to step up? Who's going to have? Who's going to be the difference maker? So I think you hit on it a little bit earlier. We're, I mean, not reintroducing, but this will be the second weekend where Kendall's back in the lineup. And not to say Grace Butler, who is the other setter, wasn't doing a good job. But when your team's getting you know fifty something assists per game, and then you know, splitting it between two players, about 25 and 25 mm-hmm. apiece almost consistently throughout the season. And then you going on to one setter, you got to change some offensive, you know, personnel around that, add another defensive specialist was typically what they were doing. But then, you know, there was a game, I think, where Grace Butler in Kendall's absence, you know, had 36 assists just by herself. But you're still, if you're CMU, missing, you know, about 14 from your normal production. And that's after she had a phenomenal game. So I think... Kendall and Grace to working together is advantageous for the Chippewas because it allows some of those hitters, like you said, you know, Savannah Thompson, Kalina Smith, you, you even get a player like Sierra Gray in there. Anna Erickson has been, you know, heating up as her freshman season goes on. You've got a lot of players, and that's, you know, before we even get to some of the middle blockers and things like that, like, you know, Lizbeth Rosario Martinez, who's had a, a tremendous first year here at CMU. And 
I mean, not to mention there's been Meg Kearns, a player who, you know, is top 10 in CMU history in digs. But there, you know, she so she's always there defensively for them. But there's been games where, you know, the Chippewas offense early on in the season was so good that she almost wasn't on the stat sheet just because they didn't have an didn't need her to dig that many. They were just efficiently on offense, and that's something that they need to get back to. I think to kind of get this thing wrapped up. And I do think that that's something that they will get back to this weekend. Um, one thing I want to mention is the emergence of their two middle blockers. Um, now they've they've gone with a uh, with a rotation throughout the season. Uh, Meg Syvertson is a name we've seen a lot, but the two that are kind of asserting themselves are, like you mentioned, Elizabeth Rosario Martinez and then Maddie Whitfield, the sophomore who missed some time with injury in the non-conference portion of the season, but she's come back and she's starting to assert herself as a very, very good player. And she's just a sophomore. And so she's going to be key with this program for not only this Mac tournament, but for the next two years as well. Um, and Elizabeth, obviously a junior college transfer, who's been phenomenal. Um, and they do a really, really good job with their length, their size. They're both hovering around six, two, six, three, and that's huge in the middle. And if they're able to make an impact over the weekend, that's going to be important. Another thing I'd like to touch on is Kendall. Like you mentioned, she takes the load off of Grace, and they're able to be kind of 50-50 with that. But another thing she brings to the table is her her prowess from the service line. You know, she's got 19 aces on the year, um, and that's something that and th- at this stage of the season can be a whole new wrinkle. You know, Lizbeth Rosario leads the team with 33, and Meg Kern has 26, but for a setter to have 19, she's just got such good control. She knows what to do with it when she's behind the line, so to speak. Does a phenomenal job serving that ball. Absolutely, and I think they've Golic and his staff have done a good job of finding players who excel at their position but also offer some other things. Because like you said, I mean, Kern's second on the team, but she's first on the team in digs. And then last weekend, you know, we saw Savannah Thompson have a game where, you know, typically outside hitter you think kills, hitting percentage, all this, you know, where maybe she wasn't where she wanted to be in that game from that perspective, but then she was second on the team in digs. So they've got a lot of different players that, if things break down and start going the wrong way, can step up and perform in other areas. That way you never have to say, okay, this person doesn't have it tonight. I've got to get them off the court. So, I mean, the and just looking at this from a broader perspective, you've got Meg Kearns, a senior, and then from this year's team, that's really all you're, you're losing going into the future. You've got, you know, I think, you know, Kalina Smith is a junior, and obviously Lizbeth is a junior. You know, she'll have one more year left. But you've got a lot of players who are only in their sophomore year or freshman year, in the case of some of these players who are making impacts. That that sets them up for not even just this weekend, but next year and the year beyond that. Yeah, and I think that's going to be big, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're going to want to stick around and follow this team because they've certainly got a bright future. You know, you mentioned that some of them are even freshmen, especially Anna Erickson, who's starting to come around and become a very, very important piece of this offense. Another one that's played a lot is uh, Casey Firestone, especially you know with Kendall's mm-hmm. injury. She got a lot of time uh, over the past weekend. Um, she's going to be a name I think you're going to see maybe step in the role of Kern. Now, is she going to be as good as Megan Kern next year? I don't think so, just because you know she's a sophomore. She'll have some growing pains to get through, but I think once she gets older, she's going to be a very, very good player. Um, but if you take a look at where this team's been, you know, you've had 
some players miss a bunch of time with injury. You know, like I mentioned, Maddie Whitfield. Savannah Thompson played one set in the non-conference portion of the year. You know, it's just one of those things where they've been tested. They've had their ups. They've had their, had their downs. And I think this weekend is going to show that there's this team still has a lot of fight left in it. And one of the players I think you're going to want to watch out for, obviously, is Kalina Smith because she not only does she bring it on the court, but she does off the court as well. And she's always energetic and she's always praising her teammates. And I think that's something that you're going to find be very, very pivotal with her is she's going to be the the spark, I think, that's going to keep this squad fired up. You know, they haven't been where they wanted to be over the past two weekends, but I think because of her and her leadership and her energy, they're going to be right back where they need to be heading into this weekend. Yeah, I mean... They definitely play just as a, in general, very team oriented style of play. So hopefully they'll get the job done this weekend. And then, you know, next week we could be talking about NCAA tournament stuff. All right, boys. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll see you guys down there. First match for the Chippewas at the MAC tournament is Saturday at 7 p.m. down at the Stroh Center in Bowling Green, Ohio. Um, other than that, uh, let's throw it back to Evan. Evan, Evan any final thoughts for you? Listen, guys, we had an action-packed episode this week featuring not only myself, but Austin, Andrew, and Christian. We talked some football. We talked some volleyball. And you know where to find us, cm-life.com. We'll take care of you guys. All Follow us all on Twitter. I'm not going to spit all the names at you, but you know where to find us if you do a little bit of digging. Um, and we'll, we'll make sure we take care of you guys from this day forward. You guys take it easy. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks a ton.